Welcome to the Peds NP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm Becky Carson, Clinical Assistant Professor at Catholic University. This week, I welcomed a very special cohort of PNP students who have pediatric acute care experience as nurses and are now learning primary care. And I'm so excited to show them what well children look like so that they can better recognize sick. In honor of Mother's Day last weekend, I wanted to say a big thank you and happy Mother's Day to my mom, hi mom, and all of the other moms out there who are taking care of my beloved patient population. Last year on my very first Mother's Day, my husband's gift to me was a podcast microphone. And here I am one year later recording the first episode of season three of the Peds NP. So thank you to all the people out there who support moms. I have a very dear friend who's expecting her first child any day now. And as I was shopping for her baby shower gift, I found myself really passionate about giving her certain items from her registry because I felt like she needed them. I even wrote a note with a physiologic explanation for the purpose of each item at the infant's developmental level. Now, maybe you have the same perspective as the country of Finland, which is known for giving expecting parents a cardboard box full of simple supplies that, after you empty out the box, doubles as a bed. Babies are easy and they don't need a lot of stuff. But I couldn't very well send an empty Amazon box to one of my best friends. She's going to have plenty of those already. So today I am giving my humble providers and experienced mom advice on the best gifts to get an expecting mother based on infant growth, development, risks, and some really bright questions from my students. These are not advertisements and I am not paid to recommend any of this. I just wanna put a developmental spin on the infamous baby registry and help providers show parents what really matters that their child grow up healthy. In the first few days of life, the most valuable thing to me was undoubtedly the breastfeeding haka and a wraparound breastfeeding pillow. Let's encourage any mom who wants to breastfeed to do it with the easiest time possible. The AAP recommends exclusive breastfeeding for about six months, followed by continued breastfeeding as complementary foods are introduced with the continuation of breastfeeding for one year or longer as mutually desired by mother and infant. We know that lactogenesis one starts before birth and that pregnant women begin producing colostrum in the late second and third trimesters. Then birth creates a hormonal trigger to move into lactogenesis two, where a few days later the mother's milk comes in and there's more copious flow during this phase. This is where the haka is super helpful. Before the autocon control of breastfeeding in lactogenesis 3, when the mom is a true professional, the breasts are still in amateur mode and one breast might expel some milk while the baby feeds on the first side. And we all know that breast milk is literally liquid gold. It goes for like $5 an ounce. So we want to catch any little bit that we can and the haka collects leaking breast milk from the opposite breast so that it can be used for a bottle feed. That excess milk is a great opportunity for the other parent or grandparent or babysitter to get some precious bonding time with baby so that mom can get some much needed rest. 
And that's another thing. In the beginning, moms should be emptying their breasts no less frequently than every two to three hours. And the haka is a nice little hand pump if mom is out and about and needs to relieve some engorgement. Not emptying the breasts frequently can lead to engorgement that's uncomfortable. It can lead to a clogged duct, which is painful, or even mastitis if it gets infected, which is very painful. Plus, breastfeeding is a positive feedback cycle where the suckling action of an infant produces prolactin, which leads to milk production. And then more suckling leads to more prolactin, which leads to more lactation. Essentially, breastfeeding begets more breastfeeding. The wraparound pillow becomes helpful because those little suckers get heavy. So a hands-free ability of a pillow that supports the baby in the proper position so that you can get a good latch is really important. In a side-lying position, the baby should be at nipple height, lying belly to belly with the mother to prevent any head turning or tilting. And there should be a straight line from the ear to the shoulder to the hips. Mom's nipple should be directed towards the mouth and the baby's top and bottom lips should be flanged out like a duck face with a nice open mouth. The baby's tongue should extend forward over the lower gum line and cup around the nipple and areola so that we can't see any of the nipple and much of the areola is also covered by the lips. Problems with latch and pain often come when the baby chomps down close to the nipple without opening wide enough to get the nipple back towards the palate. You can assess whether mom is doing well with breastfeeding by assessing whether she's having any pain and by checking the patient's weight. It's normal for an infant to lose up to 10% of their birth weight in the first few days of life, but they should regain it by two weeks. You can also ask about wet diapers, dirty diapers, the color and consistency of stools, and mom's sensation of letdown and emptying her breasts after a feed. Okay, so now we've supported the breastfeeding mother with a couple of wonderful gifts. Let's carry it a little bit further. That mom is going to be so tired from that hungry baby waking up in the middle of the night to feed. So that brings me to my next gift, zipper jammies and a Velcro swaddle. Mom is gonna be really tired and hopefully she has a partner there to help her change the baby and put them back in bed. The last thing you wanna be doing at three o'clock in the morning is clicking together crotch buttons on a onesie and trying to figure out how to fold a baby burrito. Get the zippered jammies so that it's a quick zip up after a new diaper and the Velcro swaddle is a quick and easy way to get that babe in a comfortable sleeping position. Then the partner can put the baby back to sleep in their own crib in the parent's room. My goal with this recommendation is to make redressing the baby easy so that we can avoid the temptation to co-sleep, which is an increased risk of SIDS. The baby's crib should also be free of any blankets or plush toys and have a single snug, well-fitting crib sheet. Now, once that baby has reached the point in development where they can roll at around two months of age, parents should stop swaddling the baby and transition to something like a sleep sack or warm fleece jammies. I think by now you're starting to see how these recommendations for products in the billion dollar baby industry are actually founded in pediatric principles of primary care. The next thing every new parent needs is a rectal thermometer. They're like five bucks. Don't waste your money on a fancy ear thermometer, the forehead swiper, or even the laser scanner that makes you go pew, pew, pew when you click the button. 
Rectal temperatures are the recommended method of measurement in neonates, and we need to make sure that parents understand that a temperature of a 100.4 or higher means that they need urgent medical attention under 28 days because of the risk of serious bacterial infection is higher in this age group. And while we're on the subject of healthcare gifts, the new parent needs a nasal aspirator, otherwise known as a nose frida. At some point, the baby's gonna get sick, Actually, they're probably going to get 8 to 14 colds per year, and more like 14 colds per year if they're in daycare. Since infants are obligatory nose breathers, if they can't breathe through their nose, they simply won't feed, which leads to dehydration. Common illnesses in infants like RSV cause a lot of mucus, which obstructs the airway and leads to bronchiolitis, where those small airways become inflamed and obstructed. The treatment for this is, yep, you guessed it, supportive care, because it's a viral infection. And one of the most important things we can do is teach parents to suction effectively with saline and an aspirator. Yes, it is gross. And I would be lying if I said I hadn't gotten sick around the same time that I was sucking snot out of my son's nasal passages. But I've found a few reasons to support the Frida instead of a bulb. Many parents are ineffective with the bulb. They can't get a good seal around the nose and the suction of the bulb is nothing in comparison to the vacuum power of your inhalation. They're also more likely to cause trauma to the friable nasal mucosa with the bulb tip because you really have to shove it in there deep in order to be effective. And that little bit of blood can completely scare parents away from any suctioning because they don't wanna do harm to their child and they feel like they've failed. And then also bulbs are hard to clean. At least with the nasal aspirator, you can take it apart and sanitize it intermittently. Plus it comes with replacement foam filters. I keep searching PubMed for literature that supports my practice. So if you've heard of any articles in peer reviewed journals that support my stance as a pediatric provider and mother, then please send them my way. But trust me on the Frida. Next up is bibs, lots of bibs because babies drool a lot and it's normal. Once a baby is able to bring hands to midline at around two months and then begin to put them in their mouth at three months, parents often tell me that their child is teething and most of the time it's incorrect. I think the earliest tooth I've ever seen was four months. The nerves in the mouth are more sensitive and for obvious reasons. So the baby is learning about the world around them by putting objects in their mouth. And once they start to get that first tooth, anywhere from six to 12 months, the drooling will only persist. Let's make sure that parents understand what that drool is about. For thousands of years, babies have been teething and they don't have pain with it. So please do not recommend Oragel. It can be really harmful to infants, causing methemoglobinemia. And it also gives parents the wrong impression. Their child might have some slight discomfort, but that's not what's causing their extreme fussiness or a fever. The last thing we'll talk about today is a great gift for any parent with any age child, and that's a book. Encourage parents to read, read, read to their children. Language development starts at birth, and it's never too early to begin speaking to your child, narrating your day. I'm going to open the refrigerator. I'm putting the milk back, I'm closing the door, and reading books with black and white patterns, then pictures, then flip up books, 
then stories is wonderful for their child's development. Books are also a really wonderful form of nostalgia where you can give your favorite childhood book and write a sweet note in it. I think my big take home point for today is that I want you to see how knowing pediatric development and principles of what makes a well child is essential to promoting health and wellness because that's the role of the primary care provider. And parents are gonna to come to you with questions about your recommendations for the best product. So that's why you have to have the basics of pediatric physiology, growth, and development. Once you have that foundational knowledge, as you can see, you can address their questions with sound guidance to ensure that you're giving great advice so their kids can grow up healthy. I'm Becky Carson, take care.